If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans. We are continuing our, our series through the book of Romans, and we've come to that great chapter, Romans chapter 8. And uh, we looked last week at Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. This morning we look at verses 9 through 13. Let's bow together as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on his word this morning. Lord God, how good it is to gather in your house to worship. We praise you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through your word. We praise you for the Holy Spirit who breathed this word to us through the biblical writers. We pray now, Lord, that that same spirit would work in our hearts to give us understanding, and not just intellectual, cognitive understanding, but Lord, give us, lead, lead us deeply into the truths of your word that we may live by them, be changed by them, be transformed by them, and bear fruit by them that would be for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 13. So Paul has been talking about that contrast between those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. And he says, starting at verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if Indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. We're going to touch on those verses, uh, but the focus is really going to be on verses 12 and 13, and especially verse 13, where Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You may be seated. In uh, his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis writes about a, a busload of people who stop by heaven on their way to take up residence in hell. And these people on the bus, they appear uh, thin and ghost-like in the robust atmosphere of heaven. And most of them can't tolerate that, that, that land of such substance and so they flee back to the comfort of the bus. But, but one of them ventures out into the plains of heaven where he encounters an angel. And the ghost-like person is plagued by a talkative red lizard that sits on his shoulder. 
And the red lizard represents sin. C.S. Lewis describes the encounter between this, this ghost-like person and the angel, and it's a sort of a, a, a parable of God's call to break the power of sin in our lives. And here's how C.S. Lewis describes the encounter. <clears throat> he says, A mighty angel approached the man and asked, Would you like me to make the lizard quiet? Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him said the angel, taking a step forward. Ah, you're, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost. Well, don't you want the lizard killed? Well, you didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It is the only way, said the angel. Shall I kill it? Well, well look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right. I don't think there's any need to kill it. I'm sure I'll be able to to keep it in order now, so some other day, perhaps. And the angel said, there is no other day. That scene, there, there are theological difficulties, I think, with that scene as well, but it is a sort of a parable. But that scene captures the, the power of sin and the response that we as believers should have toward it. As John Owen put it, and I know I've, I've quoted this before, but I'm going to probably keep quoting it again uh, throughout Romans because I love the quote. And, and it's fitting here because this quote came from John Owen's writings on Romans 8, verse 13. He wrote 85 pages on that one verse. And in those pages, he said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. In our text this morning, Paul sends a similar message. We, we see in these verses, uh, I'm, there's really four things uh, that I'm going to lead us through this morning. What our obligation is towards sin, number one. Uh, the means by which we live out that obligation, number two. Uh, the result of, of doing that, what, what is the result if we live out that obligation, number three. And then number four is, uh, is the, uh, on what basis we do that. And so we begin with our obligation, which is really kind of the, the main, the, everything kind of flows out of that, our obligation. Uh, Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, an indebtedness. Uh, and he goes on to state first what our obligation is not, and then he goes on to state what it is. And so he says, our obligation is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, he says, you will die. And then he states what our obligation is in the last part of verse 13, which is there in the yellow. He says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so our obligation as believers, as followers of Christ, is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And again, this flows out of Paul's discussion about those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And he says, if you're among those who live according to the Spirit, this is your obligation to put to death the misdeeds of the body. The language that Paul uses here is a little bit unusual, but I think the meaning is plain enough. The misdeeds of the body are simply the acts of sin that we commit in our fallen condition. It's a little bit Interesting that Paul uses uh, the word soma, body, here instead of sarks, flesh, because he's been using the word flesh throughout, but he's been talking about how our bodies are subject to mortality as a result of sin. So I think that's a, it's kind of a carryover, and, and, and the basic meaning is still the same. That in our mortal bodies, in our fallen condition, we are uh, uh, 
to put to death the misdeeds of that fallen condition. Now, Paul elaborates on, on, uh, on what these misdeeds of the body are uh, in his letter to the Galatians and in other letters as well, where he, he often gives lists of, what he, of, of certain sins. And so we find one of them in Galatians chapter 5, a list of what he calls the acts of the flesh, which is really just another way of, of saying the misdeeds of the body. It's the, same, it's the same concept, the same idea. And the list he gives in Galatians 5 is not at all exhaustive. It's just a, a sampling of specific sins. Here are just some, some, if you want some specific ideas of what the misdeeds of the body are, well, here's one sampling, one example from Galatians chapter 5. Paul says this, the acts of the flesh... The misdeeds of the body are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, Paul says, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, these are just some specific examples of the acts of the flesh or the misdeeds of the body. And so Paul is saying, going back to our text in Romans 8, Paul is saying that our obligation as believers, to put it very succinctly, our obligation as believers is to be killing sin. The Christian life is a sin-killing life. The Christian life is a putting to death the misdeeds of the body. Now it's significant that the verb put to death in Romans 8, verse 13, is in the present tense, which in Greek, as I've mentioned before, indicates ongoing or continual activity. So our obligation is to be putting to death the misdeeds of the body all the time, continually, uh, without, without stopping. It, it is a moment-by-moment, day-in-and-day-out obligation. As, as Jesus said, uh, if anyone would, would, wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's not just a one-time thing. Our, our, our sin-killing obligation never ends as long as we live and breathe on this earth. We never reach a place in our discipleship where we don't have to be killing sin anymore. In fact, as James Boyce once said, the, the more we mature as Christians, the more intense our battle with sin becomes. And the more we, we kill some sins, the more we find that there are other sins that just keep, keep creeping up, kind of like a... I, you know, I love the spring. One of the things, I, I like planting things. I like, you know, uh, putting stuff in the ground and watching them grow. But along with the spring comes weeds, right? And so, you know, if you, know, if you do any gardening or any kind of keeping a, a landscaping in your yard, you, you know the battle against weeds. You, 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 keep, you keep killing, you kill one, another one pops up, and it's an ongoing, continual activity. That's, that's, I think, the way the Christian life is as well, to be a continually sin-killing endeavor, like continually pulling weeds in a garden. The Christian life is a sin-killing life, a life of continually putting to death the misdeeds of the body. That is our obligation as believers. But how do we do that, or by what means do we put to death the misdeeds of the body? That's the second thing. Paul says we do it by means of the Holy Spirit. He says, if 
By the Spirit, that's the means, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If we have received Christ in true faith, then, then, the, then we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Scripture is clear on that. The Holy Spirit then does live inside of us. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we put to death the misdeeds of the body. Let me give you just three specific examples from Scripture of, of, of how we see Scripture sort of portraying this, how it plays out in practice. So three specific examples. Number one, we put to death the misdeeds of the body by walking by the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember when Paul says how those two are in conflict with each other. The, the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other. So if you walk by the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. A couple of verses later, Paul talks about being led by the spirit. And then a few verses after that, he says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. So the Holy Spirit puts to death the misdeeds of the body when we walk by the Spirit and are led by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. These are all different ways of saying the same thing, that, that we are called to follow the Spirit's leading. And that means that there is responsibility on the part of the believer, that you know, God is sovereign not only over justification, he's sovereign over sanctification as well, but his divine sovereignty does not eliminate human responsibility. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and wants to do the work of killing sin and making us more and more like Christ. But it doesn't just happen automatically. We can, as Scripture says, resist and, and grieve the Holy Spirit, or we can submit to and follow the Spirit's leading. And so to walk by the Spirit is to set your whole way of life according to what the Spirit desires. It is to follow the Spirit's leading to yield to the Spirit's promptings, to receive in faith the Spirit's sin-killing power. And we do this through, through hearts that are surrendered to God in worship and in Bible reading and in prayer and in other spiritual disciplines. And because the Holy Spirit is continually striving to point us to Christ and to glorify Christ in us, that's, that's the main that's the, the, one of the main activities of the Spirit is to keep pointing us to the truths of Christ. And so our following of the Spirit will always then lead us to the gospel and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. You can think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is like a wind that carries the surrendered soul to the cross. The Holy Spirit is constantly saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so we put to death the misdeeds of the body by walking by the Spirit. The second way that Scripture says the Holy Spirit puts to death the misdeeds of the body is by taking the sword of the Spirit. In his instruction, uh, in Paul's instruction on putting on the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, as we take our stand against the devil's schemes, Paul says this. He has all the, the list of all the different armor to put on. And then near the end of that list, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, it's interesting that of all the armor that Paul mentions in, in this passage, you know, the, the shield and the, the breastplate and the, and the feet fitted with the right shoes and all the stuff that Paul mentions, the, the, the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon. 
And so he lists all kinds of things that are defensive, things that, that protect us from the weapons of the enemy, but, but, the, but he only mentions this one offensive weapon, the, the only weapon that we have that, that can kill something, that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so the weapon that the Holy Spirit uses to kill is Scripture, the Word of God. And so it naturally follows that one of the best things that we can do if we, if we are to be sin-killing Christians one of the best things that we can do to fight sin is to be in the Word. If you're not in the Word, you're not going to be equipped. You're not going to be equipped and, and, and with, with armor, with a sword to kill sin. The psalmist said, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we see the power of the word against the temptations of sin in, in Jesus himself when he was tempted in the desert, don't we? The three times the devil came to him trying to seduce him into sin, trying to, to tempt him away from the, the self-giving uh, sacrifice, uh, the, the way of the cross, and trying to tempt him into this, this uh, self-serving way of, of, of self-fulfillment. And three times Jesus fought back the temptation to sin with, with what? With the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And so when the devil tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread, Jesus said, it is written. So he uses the word, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. When the devil tempted Jesus to seize all the authority and the splendor of the, of the kingdoms by worshiping him, Jesus, again, fought with the, with the word of God. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When the devil tempted Jesus to test God's promise of protection by throwing himself down from the temple, Jesus, again, fought with the word and said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so the more time we spend in the word, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us and to, and to shape us and to change us and, and, and to transform us through the word, to convicting us of sin, leading us to repentance, guiding us into the righteousness of Christ, you know, pointing us to the glorious truths of Christ. The more time we spend in the word, the more sin-killing power we will have. And the less time we are in the word, the more prone we are going to be to fall to the temptations of sin. The third way that the Holy Spirit puts to death the misdeeds of the body is by allowing the Spirit to guide us into truth. Jesus said in John 14, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is our instructor, our teacher. Again, always pointing us to the truths of Christ. And he said again in John 16, that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to discern spiritual things. The Holy Spirit guides us into the truths of Christ. And so by the, whole, by, the, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are able to identify what is of God and what is of the enemy. We're able to discern what is truth and what is a lie. We, we're able to sort out what, what teachings are, as Paul says uh, elsewhere, hollow and deceptive philosophies, and what teachings are firmly grounded in the truth of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who does that work in us. And this is, I think this is one of the most uh, important things in the life of the church right now, 
is, is, is to be discerning what is truth and what is deception, what is truth and what is a lie, what is, what is firmly grounded in the teachings of Scripture and what is outside the scope of Scripture's teaching. This is where, this is where we are at. This is where many Christians are becoming divided and, 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 and not discerning the truth. This is where our denomination, I think, is struggling. And why we're having these discussions about ministry shares and giving and things like that. What, what, our, what our aim is, is to, is to hold everything according to the light of Scripture and to be firmly grounded in the truths of Scripture. Scripture is our guide, and it's the Holy Spirit who will instruct us in that and who will teach us and who will keep pointing us again and again and again. No, this, this is the truth of Christ. This is not the truth of Christ. This, this glorifies God. This does not glorify God. This is, this is grounded in Scripture. This is outside of Scripture. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. Jesus said Satan is the father of lies, and that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. And the sins that we fall into are rooted in the lies of the enemy. We kill sin by clinging fiercely to the truths of Christ and refusing to be seduced by the lies of Satan. And as Jesus said, it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do that. And so we put to death the misdeeds of the body by allowing the Spirit to guide us into the way of truth. So it is the Holy Spirit, the, the means of putting to death the misdeeds of the body is by the Holy Spirit. So our obligation is to put to death the misdeeds of the body, to be killing sin. The, the means by which we carry the, out that obligation is by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And that brings us then to the glorious result, which is everlasting life. Paul says, if by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then here's the result, you will live. And Paul emphasizes this idea of life resulting from putting sin to death by putting those two words in the Greek text, those two words, death and, and live, side by side. And so a literal translation would look something like this. If by the Spirit, the misdeeds of the body, you put to death, the next word in Greek is simply live with the you will understood. So it's death and live side by side. If by the Spirit, the misdeeds of the body you put to death, you will live. This is just another way of saying what Paul has been saying throughout Romans 8, that there is a kind of living that leads to death and there is a kind of dying that leads to life. And this is the focus of what Paul says in verses 10 and 11. He says in verse 10, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. In other words, our physical bodies are subject to mortality because of the fall into sin. So because of sin, we are all going to die. And this is a consequence. Our physical death is a consequence of sin. But if we are in Christ, then death is not the final word. If we are in Christ, then we, we are destined for an everlasting life of glory beyond the grave. And this gift of everlasting life is given to us, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit because of righteousness, which means because of the righteousness that is credited to us through faith in Christ. Again, Paul has been talking, laying, he's laid the foundation for all of that in the previous chapters. And so Paul says in verse 11, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit 
who lives in you. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is now living in us and will transform our mortal bodies into immortal bodies at the last day. And so again, we, we've talked about this a lot before, but I, some of us still, I think we don't, always, we don't always get it. Our ultimate end as believers is not a bodiless existence in some ethereal place called heaven. That's not the hope that we have. Our ultimate end is to live with resurrected bodies that are glorified and made to be like Christ and to dwell with him and with fellow resurrected believers in the glorious land of the new earth. That is our hope. That is the biblical hope of, what, of where, where we are all headed if we are in Christ, which is, by the way, a, a much more thrilling hope than some sort of bodiless existence in some place that we can't really imagine. And so when Paul says in verse 13, you will live, I love that, just that simple statement, you will live. This is what he's talking about. He's talking primarily about our everlasting life in resurrected bodies with the glorified Christ on the unimaginable beauty of the new earth. This is what's in store for those who live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Those who by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body. And this is, I think, then one of the Bible's answers to the question of whether or not it is worth it to be about the business of killing sin. Because let's be honest, I mean, this obligation to kill sin and the sin-killing kind of a life is a hard way to live. It's wearisome. It's, it's a constant battle with constant failures and struggles, and, and we, we, never, we never get it right. It's fraught with difficulty and disappointment. And it's just, a, it's just a grinding, day in, continual, never-ending battle against sin. Is it worth it? Well, Paul says it is more than worth it because the end result is everlasting life of ever-increasing glory in a place of unimaginable beauty. If you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, there's, there's one final issue that we need to address as we uh, head into communion this morning, and that is on what basis are we called to put to death the misdeeds of the body? And, and the basis has really been laid by Paul in all the chapters leading up to our text this morning, that the basis is our identity in Christ. We are those who, as Paul has said, have been justified by his atoning sacrifice. We are rescued from God's wrath and judgment. We have been freed from the tyrannical rule of sin. We are, as Paul will say in the next section, uh, that's ben, Ben's going to talk on next week, we are children of God adopted into sonship. So all of this, all of this is our identity in Christ. It is on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ that we are called to the sin-killing way of life. We kill sin because we have been set free from sin's ruling power. We see the same idea in Paul's letter to the Colossians. He says, and this is language that is very parallel to what we find here in Romans 8. Paul says, put to death, there's the same obligation, that command, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, here's another list, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, and then he goes on to name the sins of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. We are to put all of these things to death, Paul says. But on what basis do we do that? 
And he gives the basis, just like Paul does. Paul has been laying the basis in, Roman, in the, all the chapters leading up to Romans 8. And here in Colossians, Paul gives the basis in the verses immediately preceding these verses of 5 through 9. So in verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3, Paul gives the basis for putting to death these things. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. That's the basis. Since you have been raised with Christ, on that basis, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's your identity. And that is on that basis that we are to put to death. So it, it is on the, this basis of what God has done for us in Christ that Paul then goes on to say, therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. We don't kill sin to get right with God. We we kill sin because we have been made right with God in Christ. If you've been brought from a life of slavery in a slum to a life of freedom in a glorious land, it would be absurd to keep on living as if you were in a slum. And Paul says it is absurd for Christians to keep indulging the sinful nature when we have been brought from slavery to freedom in Christ. We put to death the misdeeds of the body on the basis of our identity in Christ. The ghost-like man with the red lizard of sin on his shoulder in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce appeared before the angel, and the angel said, shall I kill it? And after hemming and and hawing and resisting and and not wanting to to go through the the, the pain that it would involve, the, the ghost of a man finally consented. And so the angel grabbed hold of the red lizard, and as C.S. Lewis describes it, he says, the next moment the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I have never heard. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then he flung it broken-backed on the turf. And with a red lizard removed from him, the ghost materialized into a man, and he rode upon a stallion into the glowing sunrise toward his Savior. The Christian life is a sin-killing life. We are to be about the business of killing sin. And some of us, I think, we need to know that and to to hear that, to not be flirting with sin, not to be going as close as we can to the line of sin and saying, well, you know, let's see how close I can get. No, to, to 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 be killing it, killing it again and again and again, and to be asking the Spirit to show us, and, and you know, where are the sins in my life that maybe I don't even see that I ought to, that I ought to be killing, that, I, that, I, that I'm too close to, that I've, that, I've let, you know, that I've let sit on my shoulder like that little pet lizard. Show me the sins in my life that I might be about the business of killing them. The Christian life is a sin-killing life. It is a life of continual surrender to the Holy Spirit who wants to keep putting our sin to death and making us more and more like Christ. That is the way of satisfaction. You see, one of the lies of the enemy is that, is that the sinful way is the way of satisfaction. Well, there's more pleasure here. There's more satisfaction over here. There's more delight in these things. Let me just indulge in these things for a little bit, and I'll, I'll get to these things later on. No, this is the way of satisfaction. 
This is the, this is the way that ultimately satisfies. This is the, the way of, of, of supreme treasure. The Holy Spirit wants to keep putting our sin to death and making us more and more like Christ. And it is a painful work and we often fail and it's never completed in this life. But the end result is a never-ending life of pure glory in the robust atmosphere of a new heaven and a new earth. So let us, as Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. Let us allow him to keep killing the red lizard of sin. Let us keep putting to death the misdeeds of the body and live. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we prepare for a time of communion this morning, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would search our hearts in a time of silent prayer and response. O oh Lord, send your Holy Spirit to sweep through this place and to sweep through our hearts and expose to us, O oh Lord, the sins that are there. Lord, show us the sin in our life that we might, and then give us the, the, the courage, O oh Lord, to surrender fully to the Holy Spirit that, to do the work of killing that sin. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would do that work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, show us our sin. Give us the courage to be about the business of killing sin, letting the Spirit kill sin in us. And Lord, always in the midst of all of that, lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ where the guilt of our sin has been taken away. Oh Lord, hear our silent prayers of response as we offer them before your throne this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We praise you, O Lord, for the work of the Holy Spirit who, who does the work of killing sin in us. And I pray, O Lord, that you'd move us this morning to a more fully surrendered heart and soul and life to the power of the Holy Spirit that we might walk by the Spirit, that we might take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that we might allow the Spirit to guide us into the truth of Christ and to resist the lies of the enemy. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
that we might increasingly be killing sin in our lives and growing more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. For as Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Oh Lord, as we do the work of killing sin, may you work within us a deepened assurance of the life that is ours, the everlasting life of ever-increasing glory in Christ, and that we do this work on the basis of who we are, what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, on the basis of his blood shed for us, his body broken for us at the cross. It is only through what Christ has done for us that we can even begin to think about putting to death the misdeeds of the body. And so it's in his glorious and triumphant and victorious name we pray. Amen.